going on everybody ben beck here host of the wilhelm podcast bringing you another spotlight series edition of the podcast and let me tell you this one here in all of my years of podcasting this is easily one of my favorite conversations i have ever had i've been working on this one for a while uh this conversation is with the wonderful uh actor william sadler now William is somebody who you may not know by name, but I promise you, you've seen his face, especially if you're a fan of movies and television like myself. Uh, you would know him as Haywood from The Shawshank Redemption, which is quite possibly my, not quite possibly, is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, you'd know him as Stuart, which is the main villain who goes up against John McClane in Die Hard 2. Uh, but most notably, you might also know him as the Grim Reaper, uh, a.k.a. Death, in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and Bill and Ted Face the Music. But he's been in a ton of other projects. So again, I promise you, you, you know his face and you know him. Uh, this is, like I said, this is one I've been working on for a while. I'm so happy that William and I finally got the time to have a conversation. And this is a lengthy conversation. This one went for over an hour. Uh, and then William and I spoke for probably about another hour even after this conversation was over. And I learned so much more about him. He learned about me. He learned about me because he was interested and he was asking questions. Uh, it was a great conversation all around, both recorded and not recorded. Uh, but this is the recorded part. And like I said, it's a little over an hour, so I hope you stick with it because every moment of it is great. It, um, it, I got him to play some, some ukulele on the podcast, which is great. Uh, I get the stories about how he got started in Hollywood, his love of music starting in theater, transitioning from theater to Hollywood. Uh, we got some cool stories about Shawshank Redemption and Bill and Ted including some things about him playing the Grim Reaper uh, in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey that I didn't know that I absolutely loved. And then, of course, uh, learning about him releasing a an album soon and getting into music and recording songs. Uh, and he was very generous to actually give me a track that he recorded, uh, one that's actually getting some radio play in certain uh, uh, certain outlets right now uh so it's not part of the interview but it is at the end so i encourage you to listen to the full conversation and then stick around to the end to hear the song because the song is absolutely wonderful i i really really enjoyed it it's really well done so uh, and that's not me blowing smoke just because William might be listening to this. Uh, I really, really, really did enjoy it, and I actually told him so afterwards, after I got the chance to hear it. Uh, so listen to this interview. I hope you enjoy it, uh, com this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, stick around till the end to hear the, to hear the song. Uh, and, of course, if you have anything that you want to know, I appreciate any feedback on this conversation or any episodes of Wilhelm. Uh, follow me on social media. Instagram and Twitter at Wilhelm Podcast, Facebook.com slash Wilhelm Podcast. 
And of course, if you have anything you want to let me know, like I said, feedback about this conversation, past conversations, ideas for episodes, you can always let me know directly by emailing me feedback at wilhelmpodcast.com. I encourage and I welcome all the feedback, whether it's positive or constructive, doesn't matter. As long as you're not a jerk, I'm, I'm okay. So enjoy this conversation with William Sadler. Enjoy the song at the end. And thank you for listening and supporting the show. And I'll see you on another episode of Wilhelm Down the Line. Take care. My guest this time has been a part of over 170 film and television projects, not to mention numerous stage projects. You've seen him as both a prisoner, a prison inmate, a sheriff, a demon hunter, the president of the United States. You've seen him face off against John McClane, and he's even portrayed death himself uh, on this edition of the Wilhelm Spotlight series. I'm so incredibly excited uh, to welcome actor William Sadler. William, thank you so much for spending this time with me today. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's great to be here. Uh, yeah, I've I've been a fan for a while, as I was mentioning to you right before we started this conversation <laughs> And I'd be remiss if I didn't jump in right from the start and just gush for a second and say that the Shawshank Redemption is and has been for as long as I can remember my favorite movie of all time. And I'm sure you get that a lot. Wow. Well, thank you. I don't get tired of hearing it. I mean, I, I, it's my favorite movie, too. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's Frank Darabont, the director, once said to me, he said it was like we caught lightning in a bottle, mm -hmm. um, meaning the, you, you could put all the ingredients together again. Uh, you know, the, the, there were so many happy accidents that went into uh, making that the film that it was. Um, and I don't think any of us knew at all at the time that we were making it that it would become as beloved as it as it has as it has been you know it's a, a lot of people that have they come back and watch it again they you know they watch it with their fathers they uh, it's extraordinary it's really it's become a part of the it's really become a part of the fabric of the of our culture yeah which is which is phenomenal. I'm, I'm, pr I'm very proud of it. It's one of those movies that, like I mentioned, you know, when, when you have a movie that you that you love and adores, uh, like Shawshank Redemption, as much as I do with that movie, that you know, you as a as a cinephile like such as myself who loves movies, you know, I'll I'll give anything, almost anything, a chance, and most of the time, I usually do enjoy a movie for what it is. But the Shawshank Redemption, you know, when you love a movie. When you find a movie that you love, you try not to overwatch it because you don't want it to ruin the magic of that movie. Um, but Shawshank Redemption tends to be an exception to that rule for myself. I mean, as a matter of fact, knowing that I was speaking with you today, I rewatched it again yesterday, um, even though I've seen it more times than I can count and can probably quote more than half the movie. I, I just... I still ended up watching it again yesterday just because I, uh, my, my love for that movie. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I, it's one of, it's, it's also one of those movies. Like if it's on, if I'm clicking around and it's on, you stop I and get watch it. I get stuck there. 
I like, oh, wait a minute, you know? Yeah. And that was, and that, you know, that was one of the things I was going to ask you about it too. I was actually going to save the, the shawl shake stuff for later, but we might as well get into it now that we're just, we're, we're there. You know, one of the questions I had for you, because I'm very curious because I I don't really get to ask this question very often is, yeah. you know, you've already brought up how much you love that movie as well. Does being in a movie such as that kind of change your perspective on how much <laughs> on being able to love it? Cause yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it, it absolutely does. It's, it's a little bit most, I, I get very uncomfortable watching, um, watching myself on mm -hmm. film and it's you know um it's it's a little bit like listening to your own voice on a tape recorder if you're not used to that mm -hmm. and you you say i don't sound like that who is that you know and when i watch when i watch myself on film i i'm i'm instantly back in the moment that we shot it i remember you know i can see myself thinking and i'm and I'm constantly, I just, it's just really hard to be objective about it. It's, I'm always thinking, you know, look, what are you doing with your hands? <laughs> Relax your face. What are you, what are you mugging? What do you, you call that acting? Why? Oh, yeah. You know? Or I, I, or I could have done this better in that. Yeah. Moment. Yeah, exactly. And you, you know, it is what it is. And I'm glad. So now I just, pe pe people watch it. I don't give a fuck. They can, <laughs> you know, I, it is what it is. And I go, you know, I, I just go all out. And if people like it, people seem to like it, which is great, but I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to watch it. So. <laughs> so. But as you mentioned, you, you do, you, you do still watch it when it comes on. Like you said, you flip that one. I, that's when I do because yeah. yeah, maybe it's because I've seen it so many times and, it, and, or maybe it's just, it's such a goddamn good film, you know? And it's, it's um, one of those, like you mentioned, like the lightning in a bottle with that movie. I mean, you look at a director with Frank Durenbont, you had a writer in Stephen King in Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. You had yeah. an amazing crew uh, that worked on that movie. And then in addition to the cast, you know, such as yourself and Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman, like it's such there were so many great elements that came together to make that movie that it's no wonder if you go online and you Google like top 20 films of all time Shawshank Redemption usually is on that list somewhere if not at yeah. the top which is extraordinary which is just um I'm 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 constantly blown away with by how uh and it's funny too because people say people people tell me people watch it and tell me how important it's been in their life like they watched it with their father when their father was ill and it's this story of bonding. It's a story of friendship and love and hope, really. And and do you hang on to hope or is or is hope that thing that gets you hurt? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I it's it's just a message that has reson it it just resonates, you know, in the way that in the way that the film tells it, it lets you um I don't know. I'm, no, I, 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 I get I'm amazed at the response. I still am. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. I mean, there, there's seven words. There's just one line of dialogue alone that when you look at what you mentioned about how there are things about the movie that 
mean more to everybody else. You know, the get busy living or get busy dying line is there you go. is the key one for me. It's like, well, okay. I, I thought you were gonna say, I thought you were gonna say my famous line, um, dumbass. <laughs> Alexander dumbass. Dumbass. <laughs> Or I, I or didn't do it. Lawyer fucked me. I do quote that Alexander dumbass line quite a bit because I do have friends who are a lot literary, very literary friends who are into reading. And anytime dumbass. Alexander Dumas comes up, I'm like, you mean dumbass? Like, and it comes from, you know, from my love of that movie. And it's and, you know, I can tell you from my personal experience, the other two things that I really took away from that movie, other than the friendship that you mentioned between, you know, the two main characters is it made me one terrified of Clancy Brown. Uh, and two terrified to ever go to prison for any <laughs> reason. You were scared straight. I was scared straight before I was even old enough to do anything to go. You don't want to meet the sisters. <laughs> That's very no, true. I, no, I know. I'm uh, I'm not surprised. And you must have been very young when you first saw it. I think I was, we, um, I was in was, high school at the time when that movie came out. Yeah. So well, I was, you were still impressionable, though. Yeah. <laughs> very, very true. He's got a pretty mouth. <laughs> <laughs> anybody give anybody come at you yet? Ugh. Um. So let's <laughs> let's go back a little, uh, m- much further back. And okay, one of the things that I found out about you that I'm I want you to kind of clarify on a little bit. Uh, tell me a, a little bit more about Banjo Bill, because I know that's back <laughs> towards the very beginning of your career. <laughs> I think I have a banjo here. Um, I, I, I learned to play. My father played the ukulele, and he got a baritone when I was about seven, six or seven. He got a baritone ukulele, and I got the tenor ukulele, the littler one. And we used to sit and play together. And then he got a guitar, and I said, "I want, I want to learn to play the banjo." What I wanted was a five string. I wanted to learn to play bluegrass. That thing that Earl Scruggs does, you know, that Bonnie and Clyde, uh, you know, Foggy Mountain Breakdown. And uh, and there were, the television was full of hootenannies and folk, you know, the, the, I, and I was, I was just, I was in a folk band. I went, but I wanted to play the banjo. He went out and bought a four string banjo, which is a, it's a different animal. You can't play bluegrass on it. It's it's really a you coax the blues right out of the horn, <laughs> man. It's one of those banjos. Um, but I took lessons on it for a couple of years, and then in high school, I don't know. I guess I was I was trying to get on stage in some fashion, and I uh, I tried out for the uh variety show the high school variety show my junior year um just telling jokes and playing the banjo and i was and i called myself banjo bill sadler and i told you know i made it i told all these awful corny jokes um and played the banjo um and i won like second prize in the variety show it was like people with audience when there was finally an audience there they were howling. They thought, I guess the jokes were funny. Um, and the next year, so I started to go around Buffalo playing the banjo until I was doing stand up. 
and I would play at, you know, fire halls and grange halls. And, uh, and, and finally, it somewhere along the line, I discovered acting where other people had done the writing and, <laughs> and, uh, and I was instantly fell in love with that and, and what was available to learn in that world, uh, as opposed to, you know, just standing up and telling it the same jokes or mm -hmm. making up new jokes or it wasn't, uh, and, and <laughs> there were a couple of nights when I, uh, just fell right on my face to with the jokes, you know, where there was like a silence that uh, you could cut with a knife. <laughs> and I was young and impressionable. And I, uh, so I, I decided to put Banjo Bill aside and focus <laughs> on acting. I actually had an English teacher who said, what do you, he, he saw me doing this Banjo Bill thing. And he said, why don't you come and try out for this play? We're doing Harvey. Oh, and I've after, done Harvey. What did you play? Um, I was, oh, for the life of me, I can't remember the character. He was the... Um, the uh, cab driver? or No. Oh, he worked at the hospital. He was the um, like, kind of like the attendant that was... Yeah. W that was you know moving him around a lot um but i did I, was Har I did harvey in high school elwood that's I, it i did yes I, I played elwood and and the who so who talks to this imaginary talk, rabbit. yeah talks to the rabbit yeah and then uh it was and it was it was fabulous it was great fun and it led to a community theater play that i did that was a three-character drama called the subject was roses that won a Pulitzer Prize on Broadway and it launched Martin Sheen's career. And that one just tore my head off. It just like, I was blown away by the cow, just the quality of the writing and how, and the, the experience of peeling back this onion, because you've got to, you work backwards from what they say and try to figure out who would say that. What would you, where would you have to be to say something like that to your father, mm -hmm. you know? And um, so it was a, it was a great learning experience for me. And it, and it, all of a sudden I couldn't get enough of it. Well, so, I mean, you know, some of the elements of what you described as far as, you know, playing the banjo and telling the jokes and having that awkward silence of a joke falling flat. I mean, that's something that a lot of stand up comedians go through now, in getting started as well. I mean, everybody, well, sure. of course, everybody bombs on stage at some point in their career and you got it out relatively early and it kind of drove your passion in a different direction of, mm. you know, of going towards the acting and, and moving towards theater, which I was also, I would, I think I was, and, and my mom was great about this too. My dad always sort of wanted me to go into the, keep, keep doing the, the stand up comedy. My mom, my mom saw, theater as a and it was theater it wasn't film it was theater as a as an avenue that i had a talent for and that i um and she she uh we went to the she took me to the shaw festival at niagara on the lake um and watched george bernard shaw plays we went to the shakespeare festival in ontario canada we lived in buffalo um 
And it, it just like made sure that I was getting exposed to these things that were around. And um, the, it's hard to it's hard to describe, but um, I needed to, at that moment in my life. I was I, uh, I was wrestling with all kind of the, the, the normal sorts of emotions that an eighteen year old. Mm-hmm kid is and my parents are going through a divorce and it's the vietnam war is raging and there's like you know i'm going through life you know i'm like i'm like an electric wire but i needed someone i i needed someone to help me understand humans you know help me understand this and and what I found in the theater was you know was Anton Chekhov and Shakespeare and um, William Butler Yeats and all these these brilliant these brilliant writers were showing us they were holding people up and saying look this is who this is who we are you know um, and so it was my education began you know it was it was about understanding people more than. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, anything else, I guess in a sense, theater was almost like a window. I mean, these plays and such that you did were, I guess, kind of like a window into the human element. You know, you've got all these different variety of characters that, you know, have all these different personality traits and, you know, written by somebody who's kind of in the mind of all of it as well. And it's and not to, and if you're just studying it, if it's like literature and you're just reading it, it's one thing. But if you, but if you memorizing these characters' words and you're trying, you're like putting the, you're finding those emotions in yourself. Mm-hmm. You're understanding it on a different level. Um, and I I just found that it was it was it just fed i i was so hungry to learn <laughs> i did nothing but play after play after play yeah i mean um, from what yeah. i've seen you've done well over like 70 75 you know plays and and theater yes. theater shows when you were making that transition from you know the the banjo playing comedian to the actor on theater <laughs> were did you have like a a genre in mind? Did you want to stay comedy and go more comedic? Did you want to dive right into the drama? Like what was what was your mindset when making that that move? I don't think I I don't I don't think I was aiming for a particular genre. I was uh, like I said the first play that 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 the subject was roses was written by Frank Gilroy. This Pulitzer Prize winning three character drama um i um i mean that's the one that that's the one that just woke me up like because he's like it's a father a, a father an abusive drunk father a mother and this kid who comes back from the army and he can't look at his parents the same way again he's not going back to what he to what was there before you know mm-hmm. he sees he sees them with fresh eyes and uh, um, um, I don't know. I I didn't have a particular genre in mind. Uh, more, it was more all of, it was all fair game. More of whatever you read and just stuck with you or resonated with you. That was what you wanted to do. 
Yeah. 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 Um, for for someone like me, I I performed like I I mentioned I did Harvey in high school. Right. I I did Shakespeare in high school. Um, I did musical theater in high school as well. You know, yeah. I did um, Hello Dolly and Little Shop of Horrors, and then continued on a little bit in college. Um, I'm now in my early 40s, and I've for the past couple of years I've actually been contemplating going back and doing local theater um so much where, so that actually where do you live i live in drexel hill pennsylvania i live right outside of philadelphia so there's a lot of yeah a lot of stage areas that are around here that like as far as like local troops and things like that that do shows so right. much so that in about two weeks i'm actually auditioning for my first thing in over 15 years <laughs> and i'm auditioning for a stage version of clue oh nice um so for someone who's as seasoned as you who has done it and looking at someone like me who has it in about 15 years and is going to be delivering their first monologue ever since that time in almost two <laughs> decades, what kind of advice would you have for me and someone who's trying to get back into it? If any. Um, I, my only, my only advice regarding, uh, I, there's only a couple of things that I, I ever suggest to young actors. One of them is do theater. And the other one is if you start making money, do something smart with it so that you, mm -hmm. because it goes away and it comes and it goes away and so on. But I always, I find that, um, I find the character's emotion in saying what they're saying the the emotion is in the words it's not something you have to lay on top of it it, it you have to let yourself get moved by what it is you're saying and um and then the meaning of the scene becomes clear then the, you're you're not the one you're not the one causing this thing you're um, and the best thing the, the best thing is, I mean, you learn it so that you know your lines, you know your cues, but you, re you really know your lines, but you know them so well, you can almost forget them. Mm -hmm. And let, let the other person, let what the other person says remind you what, you know, let that be the thing that brings out the next line. So that it's like a tennis match. You know, they, if they hit the ball over here, you, you hear it over here. You know, mm -hmm. as if you don't know what they're going to say or what you're going to answer. Um, and that ten, then that keeps it alive. It's it's really, really good when it feels like an improv. It's not an improv. Everybody mm -hmm. knows exactly what's going to happen. But to feel but more it, natural. But if, it, but if it feels like I don't if it feels like I don't know what I I don't know where this is going tonight. I don't know where this is. I don't know what she's going to say or, you know, mm -hmm. then yeah. it's easy. Then it's easy to get caught up in it. Um, and if you can get caught up in it a little, the audience will, the audience comes along. They want to, they want to buy it. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, <laughs> they want to believe something that they're seeing, you know, mm -hmm. So. No, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I appreciate the the you know the little bit of feedback because it gives me a little bit more confidence going into it too. Because 
again, I haven't done it in 15 plus years. So I'm a little nervous, okay. but you know, <laughs> um, you know, out of all the theater that you did, did you ever dive into musical theater at all? Or was it all just stage plays? Um, I've done a couple of musicals. I'm, I did the history of the American film, uh, played the Jimmy Cagney character. Uh, I got to sing and tap dance. That was fun. I've never been a, a strong, like a, like a Broadway singing voice, you know, mm-hmm. All, which is, which is weird. Cause now I'm record, I'm writing and recording songs left and right. Um, because I've always written songs <laughs> and, uh, and now I, I have this voice that I have and it sounds like, you know, um, but in any case, I, I, I was one of the muleteers in Man of La Mancha and, um, you know, I've had, I've, I've worked around the edges of musicals I've, uh, <laughs> in, in college. Um, but I, I guess I've never been a, I've never been the strong singing voice that could carry. Never, never in, the lead you know, in a, never the leading man in a musical. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been the lead. Yeah. I tend, and, and for some reason, people, people tend to see me in the heavy, the heavier roles that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the asshole or the, you know, the killer or, you know, Krogstad in the doll's house or, or you know, <laughs> the villain, um, the villain of the piece. And, and I, you know, I used to get kind of annoyed by, because you, you tend to get pigeonholed and people, I'm, I'm glad I'm good at being an evil. That that's, <laughs> that's fun. Die hard too. And so on. Yeah. You know, and, but, and, and I'm and, glad that people hire me for something, which is that, the end of the day, if you can't be James Bond, you want to be Dr. No. Yeah. You know, and you can't have a James Bond without a great evil motherfucker, <laughs> yes. you know, threatening the whole world. <laughs> There's no, he's got to be huge and he's got to be evil. So speaking of, of Die Hard 2, you know, that I know that was still relatively early in your, you know, one of your first major roles that you did. How did you, what made you make the transition from theater to film at that point and, and get into roles like that? I had done, um, I moved to New York. At, I, I did four years of undergraduate at Geneseo, State University College of Geneseo, then I got a scholarship to study acting at Cornell for two years. And I got an MFA at Cornell. And then I started doing theater. I moved to New York. I met my wife. I was doing off, off, off Broadway and off Broadway, and then a year and a half on Broadway. But I spent almost 11 years in New York City um, and at the Long Wharf and uh, Trinity Square and um, the Yale Rep, New York Shakespeare Festival. I was, I did it for a long, long time. And then uh, <laughs> I, after I did Biloxi Blues on Broadway for a year and a half or something with uh, Matthew Broderick, Matthew went off to do this, this movie called uh, Project X. Mm-hmm. And they cast me as the villain, as the heavy in Project X. And I had never done 
uh, big move. You know, this was at 20th Century Fox. And so they flew us out. And while we were there staying in a hotel in Santa Monica, my wife had her baby, our baby. Um, and I, and I made, and I made this movie and, and, and my, uh, and it was hard to go back to, was, I had done a lot of theater and I've always loved theater, but it's, um, movies became, as movies, be, as I started to explore movies, there's a, there's a, this world of, uh, possibilities that are available that aren't available in the theater. Um, not to mention the money. So I, I suddenly had to buy baby shoes and diapers and uh, a used car to get around LA. And, um, um, and so I spent the next 15 years or so in Los Angeles um, with Marnie and, and our daughter um, doing movies. That's when, so it's, so when you say, you know, I, I sort of broke into the movies uh, by way of the theater. I think I did, what was the first one? I did like the hot spot with Dennis Hopper directing. That was pretty early on. And Steven Seagal. Uh, hard, hard, to hard to kill. Yeah. Another asshole. Um, those were both, <laughs> those were both assholes. And then I did the tales from, I did tales from the crypt. The Man Who Was Death, the very first episode. Very first episode, the yes. And the, and the executive producers on the show were Joel Silver, Walter Hill, Dick Donner, Bob Zemeckis. And they, <laughs> the, ne- the very next thing that Joel Silver was doing was Die Hard 2. And he just said, do you want to? That episode that one half hour episode was sort of my audition for all of those people and uh joel silver offered me do you want to play the villain in <laughs> in die hard too and i said yes yeah how fast can i say yes here <laughs> um and then uh and frank darabont who directed shawshank redemption was one of the writers on tales from the crypt Okay, that I didn't know. And he came up to me on the set and said, I'm going to do this movie called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I don't have a script yet, but I want you to be in it. And, <laughs> and I thought, and I thought, you know, everybody in Los Angeles has got a movie script in their back pocket. You know, <laughs> of, of course, you're going to make this movie. Um, but, but that that one episode i did a film called trespass with walter hill after that um i did demon knight for joel silver after that so it's sort of and then i you know and then the movies that i did with frank the the mist and the green mile um and shawshank they all sort of blossomed out of that that episode of tales from the crypt Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned, you know, out of all the projects that you just mentioned and the films that you just mentioned, you know, Die Hard 2, 
Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. You're you did I know another episode of Tales from the Crypt where you just appeared as the Grim Reaper again, and um, I know you did an appearance in Bordello of Blood as the Mummy, but of course there's Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and and right. Shawshank and uh, of all the projects that you've done, you know I I feel like different generations view each of these different things for different reasons. What do you think is the one project you probably get recognized for? the most um wow i mean it is it's hard to say i think uh, i it might be the i did three episodes of deep space nine and the and the star trek people are they're um, they're hardcore they're diehard they're they're hardcore yeah (laughs) like i'll be walking down the street and they'll you know, they'll start calling out lines that I said in, I only did three episodes before they <laughs> killed me, <laughs> but that was enough. Um, I get recognized for that. I get recognized for Roswell. I did a series called Roswell for three years, which was great fun. Um, I did a series, I get recognized for television. I did a series called Power. Um, I was a regular on that show for two years. I played Tommy's dad, and um, and it was it was great. The writing was terrific. The, the people were, were wonderful. But there's something about television when you, because it's so much of it is in close up, and so much of, and and because you're in people's living rooms, you're in their bedrooms, you're in their kitchens. While they're watching you, you know, you're you're in their house, and they're. You know, and you're in there every week mm-hmm. in close up, and they feel like they they really get to know you. You become it's it's different from doing a movie where you go to the movies and you know you, you see all these people, but then you don't see them again for you know months and months. You know, you may not see them for three years until the next movie that they do or whatever. We do a do a television series, and um, p- people really uh, then then you can't go into restaurants without people's. <laughs> and my favorite thing, and I do it, and I don't mind being recognized. I really don't, because most people are very cool about it, and they just do. They just say, "I loved you, with power." <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll come over, and you know, I don't want to. I didn't want to say anything. I don't. I don't want to interrupt your dinner, but you were great in Shawshank. You know, so just that. That's all. Mm-hmm. And then step away is that's my favorite. Uh, that's my favorite acknowledgement. Yeah, it's you know you you mentioned Deep Space Nine. Um, I Deep Space Nine is actually uh, the one Star Trek series that I had never watched. <laughs> um, I'm currently watching it okay. now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently in in the midst of my first watch through now. I just finished season four <sighs> n- not too long ago. So I actually haven't gotten to the part where your character comes in yet. But I remember telling people when I knew I was having you on the program yeah. and I mentioned, you know, your name and everything. You're like, yeah. I had I had friends who know I'm watching <laughs> Deep Space Nine. They're like, well, you know, he, he shows up in Deep Space Nine. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but. I'm I'm excited for when it happens. Um, so yeah, so I know you know how hard, like as we mentioned, how hardcore 
those Star Trek fans can be. Um, I, I know me. I'm also kind of a prick in that one. Well, that's good to know too. So now I won't get I won't just get so attached you know. to your character. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think the thing that sold me on it. Um, the very first time you see him, he's sitting. He's sitting in Doctor Bashir's bedroom, watching the doctor sleep. Well, that's not creepy. That's not creepy at all. <laughs> it's not creepy at all. <laughs> like he, the doctor wakes up and is like, "How fucking long have you been sitting there?" You know, like. Yeah, and that—I mean that—that's how you meet this guy. So it's like, I'm—I'm—I'm oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you know, you, we mentioned Tales from the Crypt and working with Frank Dernbont and and Dick Donner and all those. I know, as I, you know, I mentioned Tales from the Crypt. Demon Knight is another movie that it sounds weird to say you adore a horror movie unless you're a <laughs> horror movie like I am, a horror fan like I am, but. I, it's the truth. Like I adore Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. I remember going to see that movie in theaters with, of all people, my mother. And <laughs> like ordinarily, like you you see a movie like that where there's like topless bar scenes and like all this and and gratuitous sex and all this stuff, and you're like, well, you you would walk out of a theater feeling very awkward having sat with a parent watching that when you're still that young of age, you know, I was maybe 16, 17 years old, but I remember loving that movie so much after having seen it that I didn't feel <laughs> awkward at all. I was like the, the love I had for seeing it for the first time, like overshadowed any wow. awkwardness I would have had. That's extraordinary. I'm so, well, I'm glad to hear that. I know pe <laughs> people like, I thought Billy Zane was, phenomenal he's so fantastic made, yeah maybe the best thing he's ever done i mean the titanic <laughs> <laughs> I don't, i've never talked to him about it but uh but he you know he just chewed the scenery and we had a ball we had a we had a great time with that and the cast again it was you know ernest dickerson who directed it put together this that was also joel silver Silver Pictures, um, going all the way back for, to Tales from the Crypt. Um, but he put together this, you know, cast. Holy crap. I mean, CCH Pounder and Thomas Church. Dick Miller and, yeah. And Jada Pinkett and Dick Miller. And it's like, everywhere you look, there's somebody fun to watch. You know, so... Yeah, I was, and we shot it for a dollar ninety-eight. We shot it. I it was. I don't know how much they spent on that movie, but they didn't spend. They didn't spend much of it on us. I'll tell you. Um, and we shot it. We shot it in an abandoned airplane hangar in Sherman Oaks, California. And there were pigeons in the rafters. I remember because they used to have to fire off a blank to scare the pigeons away. And then say action. Hmm. Other, otherwise, all the way through the scene, you would hear <laughs> yeah. forty pigeons all talking to each other at once. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was good fun. It was, it was great, great fun to do. It was, it was one of those movies. I remember being a big fan of Tales from the Crypt when it was originally on HBO. And when it, it was announced that there was a film 
of Tales from the Crypt coming out. That was the first, that was where the first excitement came from. And I know I, um, I'm, I'm very familiar with the two episodes of Tales from the Crypt that you did only because over the pandemic, when everybody was at home and people huh. were, were starting to binge watch a lot of things, I know a lot of people went to comedies and things like that. I used it as an opportunity and I went through and I rewatched all the you episodes, all all, every episode of Tales from the Crypt. Oh, you do like horror. I do. And it, it reminded me because I hadn't watched them probably in over 20 years, you know, probably since they first aired in on HBO. How yeah. many up and coming stars were in that <laughs> series along the way? I mean, Christopher Reeve and Bobcat Gold, like so many people. Well, it became it sort of became this this ginchy thing in Hollywood. It was like, you know, Schwarzenegger wanted to do it. And I mean, these people people that were already you know, big in the movies, everybody wanted to do one of these funky because they, I think they looked at him and said, this is like the twilight zone. Yeah. You know, this is going to be when, when it's all done, this, these are going to be like twilight zone episodes and you want to, you want to have one of those, you know, you want to be, you know, and so people, there were lots of people who wanted to be, you know, who wanted to direct them, wanted to, wanted to act in them. Um, but I was lucky and I, and I was lucky enough to do the very, very, very first one. They would, they, they did three episodes. Joey Pantaleon was in one and, um, I forget the third one, but Larry Drake, I think was in the third one, but it was, uh, but that's, but they, they bought three episodes to try it out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I know if it hadn't, you know, if it hadn't sold, if if they hadn't been popular, it would have, you know, HBO was brand new. They would have, uh, they would have just dumped it. But ours was up for an Ace Award, didn't win, but. But just the just the the fact that you were nominated, you know, you were up for that award. I mean that that yeah. had it had it's to be very, some kind of praise. Yeah, it's very encouraging. Yeah. I mean, and then you seem to continue that relationship. As I mentioned, you showed up again as the Grim Reaper just for fun next to the, the, the Crypt Keeper in the yeah. intro of an episode. You got to do uh, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight, which I would say, you know, you're you're pretty much classified as a character actor because of a lot of the roles that you take. But I think that was a step above that for you, because in essence, you you and Jada Pickett towards the end you pretty much were the hero you right. you were the protagonist of the of the film right. for most of it. Right. Right. It was that was no, it was a great, it was a terrific opportunity. I was a I really liked it. I acted my brains out. Yeah. Um I don't think <laughs> and I, it did and again it didn't do it didn't do uh I think it did okay at the box office. There were going to be three of those movies, and Demon Knight was going to be the first one, and then Bordello of Blood, and then there was a third one. And Demon Knight did okay, but Bordello of Blood didn't, I think, didn't do as well. Mm -hmm. And so they scrapped the third one altogether. That was. And I know there was talks for a while, at least a couple years ago, of the possibility of. I think it was TNT was the network. They were going to reboot Tales from the Crypt. They were going to bring it back. 
and oh, really? and I believe M Night Shyamalan. You, you mean with you mean with new stories and yeah, with yeah, with new stories, new actors, new stories. And I think M Night Shyamalan was was one of the writers behind it. Um, but I I think it ended up getting getting canceled or canned before it ever it ever came to happen. So I mean, and that's the that's the the life we live in now is with the internet and social media is that you get the news of these projects coming up, and yeah. then when they don't happen, you get disappointed. They disappear without a, you know, it's like Walter Hill used to say, down without a bubble, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> they're just gone. <laughs> things. I don't know how people get things produced now that, you know, now that it's, uh, there were there dozens and dozens of channels and product, you know, product being made all the time by all these different places. But one of the things that they used to do with television anyway was they would put a pilot episode on they would networks would buy nine episodes or 14 episodes and they'd shoot them all and they'd keep it they'd give it a slot on tuesday night at nine o'clock or something and they'd give it they'd give the audience time to find it Mm -hmm. because it takes time to find it you got to You know, you have to stumble on it or hear about it and go, this is in the old days before before you could watch it anytime you wanted. Mm -hmm. Who who cares, you know? Um, But in the old days, you had to make an appointment and sit down. You know, I had you had to be in front of your TV at eight o'clock on Wednesday night or whatever. But but it seems to me that they took. You know, there were shows that went on and ran for 14 years that became huge, huge hits that did nothing in the first half season. You know, mm-hmm. it took it took people. I, I'm thinking of the show MASH um, mm-hmm. that became such a monster hit back then. I, uh, or Cheers. I, Cheers was one I was going to mention. That. You know, it's like nobody, you had to hang around. You had to see enough episodes to like these people, get to know these people. And then you're invested in it. And then, and then it becomes this thing and then you can't let go of it. You know, then you, then you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays you, may- you, you see these shows that are, that are filmed, you know, they're, they're sent to pilot and the pilots filmed and it doesn't make it past the executives to either, to even be aired or, or it airs. And then three (laughs) episodes of it air. And after three episodes, it's news like, Oh, well, this show was like, how, who saw the three episodes? You know, they, how do you even, you know, how do you judge something like that? It's, it's very bizarre. I think they do the same thing with movies, you know, a movie will come out and it's in the theaters for, 10 minutes. Yeah. If it's not set, you know, if it's not sold out wall to wall, every, every screening. Yeah. If it, if it didn't make it, give me, money give me back the next the, one. Give me if, the next one. If it didn't no. make its money back in the opening weekend, then they're not satisfied. And yeah. 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 Which is something, I mean, that doesn't make, that doesn't make for great television or great uh, films. Yeah, no, I agree. I, 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 I agree with there, you. There are things that. <laughs> I mean, and you look at you look at some movies. You know, using movies as an example, you look at some movies that find more of a popularity once it hit home video, or 
now with Shawshank. streaming, Shawshank was that way. Shawshank. I, you mentioned Demon Knight. I mean, I you know, we talked about Demon Knight and you said how it did okay in the box office. I know I have tons of friends who absolutely love that movie. Who and, own, the, own the VCR episode. Yeah. I I actually tape. I actually have a friend. My friend Paul <laughs> actually has Demon Knight on VHS because he still collects, you know, VHS and he's a huge horror man, horror. Oh, yeah. man so he has tons of horror movies on there must be, there must be lots of stuff out there that's that has never been transferred to to dvds there must be tons of old horror movies and things i'm sure cheesy hammer films and what have you that that never made it to uh you know the discs or streaming services or something you know mm-hmm. yeah um before we we get ready to wrap things up i know i I, I would be it would be a huge mistake on my part if I don't bring up Bill and Ted and Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Um, I think that is another project of yours that people recognize you from really? and and, yeah. and and playing, you know, and playing the character of death <laughs> and in such a way that it just it, you wouldn't expect the character of death to become a fan favorite in a film. But just the way you portrayed him and the way the character was written, he just, I, I will tell you that when Face the Music was announced, I wasn't on board until I heard that you had signed to reprise the role of death. Oh, sweet. Like, that's how much I, I liked the character that you played. Hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can well, give me you. you can give me Keanu and and you know and such because I'm a fan of his as well. But once once that you, once you were announced that Death was returning to that <laughs> universe in that movie, I was like, "Yep, now I'm on board." Because I want to know what happened. I was well. That was I mean that was I, that was in con- that was in discussion for a long time before we finally shot uh, Face the Music. I was you know I was hearing from the writers from Ed Solomon. I was hearing. Um, I mean, he called me and said, are you interested? And we're going to work, we're, we're going to write, we want to write the Grim Reaper in and see what happened to his recording career after he <laughs> left the, the Wild Stallions. And he's put out albums that are just bass. There's nothing on them except <laughs> the bass and, uh, uh, and his drug rehab. And he was, I, I, I of course, I instant, I mean, I was never going to say, no, I'm not going to do this again. Mm-hmm. Um, which it, it was, it was gr- the first one 30 years ago was um, in some ways it was easier because I was younger. I had a lot of energy and it was like, it's easier to wear the robes. It's easy, you know, cause it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of taxing just the physical uh, doing it but the character is so fun the character was once i put once i had the makeup and the and the robes on and once i was in character i couldn't shut up <laughs> i would i kept making up i kept making up in the first one especially i kept making up stuff um you know I, that whole exchange about uh, what about my butt <laughs> <laughs> I I work out all the time and reaping burns a lot of calories. They're looking at the these guys, the station's butts, and talking about their butts. And he's and he's so insecure. Just what about my butt? I 
<laughs> but it so just that, came. So that was improv. A, a lot? That was improv. I wrote the Reaper rap that you might be a king or a little street sweeper, but sooner or later you dance with the Reaper. Um, that was mine. There's a moment where um, there's a moment where I mean they wrote a lot of wonderful stuff mm-hmm. for for him to do. The games were all there. That was all. That was all the writers. You know. Um, having him become more and more peevish and, and frustrated. And he's just a shitty loser, you know, <laughs> best two out of three, best three out of five. Best of seven. Best, damn best right. Of, damn right. It's like, what a lousy loser he is. Um, which is just, char- it's just charming as hell. It punctures this, this big scary guy is just a, you know, a petulant little shit. Um, <laughs> But then he becomes, but then he wants to be, he wants them to like him. And that's when it, that's when it really started to be fun. Yeah. Well, like I had a, there's a moment with uh, the director, uh, Peter Hewitt. And we're, we're shopping in a hardware store. We're shooting at night in this hardware store because we had to shoot at night because it's closed. And I said, would it would be great if, uh, the, the reaper sees we see somebody smoking a cigarette in the reaper cut because we're just walking by and says see you real soon <laughs> and the guy <laughs> puts a cigarette out and peter peter liked the idea but it's not in the script he said bring the camera said, that's the director peter oh, was the guy the director is the guy who's smoking and we shot it in two seconds and it's in the movie and it's just this like little yeah. Um, but it was it was really lovely to put my funny hat on again and think, oh, 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 <laughs> oh, I know it'd be great. <laughs> and, you know, some of it didn't get in, but but, uh, you know, but some of it did. But it was just great. I, I loved the Reaper. I loved his energy. Did you get to do any of the improvisation for Face the Music as well? Or like, did any of that? A little, a little bit. Again, once I put it on, it was, I thought, oh, 30 years have gone by. Like, what's this going to feel like on the set? We, when we got back together again, it was like, it was like no time had passed at all. Mm-hmm. It was like the conversation, we left the conversation off before lunch and picked it up again an hour later. Um and in the heat of that argument that they're having about his 40 minute bass solos and all of that stuff. And he says, you, you kicked me out of the U.S. He says, like, you kicked me out of the wild stallions. He said, you were doing 40 minute bass solos, dude. And I said, I was in the groove. <laughs> and that wasn't in the script. Either. That was that some of that was some of that. I added the uh, pale on pale. I added, um, like a nod to Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. blonde on blonde. It was, I couldn't stop. I sort of couldn't stop bubbling or, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't, I don't do it with all my characters, <laughs> if, but, but for some reason, for some reason with him, I, it feels, um, it feels right. That's, that's so fantastic because that makes me love that character even more knowing that, you know, when that, like you said, the, what about my butt and knowing that you improvise those lines just kind of makes me 
first off, it makes me want to go back and rewatch the movie again, just because I haven't seen it in a while and I want to hear those lines again. But it makes me just, I think, just love that movie even more now and love that character even more now, knowing that that wasn't just a well-written character in a lot of ways. It's part of you as well, because you were the one that improvised those lines. So they came from you, not from the writer of the movie. You know, so knowing that that character was a little bit more of you than I expected, I it makes me love that character even more. I didn't get, I don't get a chance to play funny very often, and that was a, that was a chance to be actually you're going to be silly. This is this is a silly moment. This is a silly man. This is a you know, um, so it was like the gloves came off. You know, yeah, whatever. Those so the rules fell away. Um, and I got to, and it was like that, that stand-up comic, you know, it was, it was Banjo Bill again with his <laughs> jokes. Cause I've always been funny. I've always had a sense of humor, um, but it, I don't always get a chance to, to use it. You got the opportunity to actually express really, that, that part. Of I yourself. really got the opportunity and yeah. I, and I was not going to waste it. So. <laughs> I wouldn't have either. That was, that's fantastic. Um, before I let you go, I know you have a number of projects coming up, but I know one of the ones that I'm very yeah. interested in hearing, you're returning yet again to the world of Stephen King. Um, what can Salem you tell me Lot. about Salem's Lot that's coming out soon? Um, I, sh- I, don't know. I don't know when it's coming. I think it's in the summer. I don't know the date it's coming out, but I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited to see that one. The little bits that I've seen in ADR, I don't usually like to watch myself, but I, I don't, I'm going to correct something on the internet right now. I don't play Barlow. Okay. That's, that's a rumor. That's an ugly rumor that's out there. Barlow is played by a wonderful actor, but it's not me. Um, And I get, and I sort of have a more, I have a more comic role in this thing which is really fun but I found the movie was uh, getting back into the Stephen King world scary as fuck just he's so good he is he's he's such a terrific writer and 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 this adaptation I think is a is a really good one the people are believable. The people are the people are human. So you care about them, you know. They're not, you know, they're not superheroes, they're not flawless, you know, perfect. These these are these are people you might see around your your hometown. And they're up against something that they have no understanding of, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it's. I think it's going to be really, really good. I haven't seen the whole movie yet. I've only seen bits and pieces, but uh, but I was really excited. And again, it was. It had to do with the, the way that the way that it was directed, the the sort of freedom that, um, you know, trusting the actors and uh, letting stuff come out, letting. Um, you know, not micromanaging some, you know, as is sometimes the case. It's it's always it's always more fun if you can, you know, trust the people that you've hired to cook something up for you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think that's what we did. 
Yeah, I know but that I, should that should be great. I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm a big fan of Stephen of Stephen King work as well. I mean, I, I was a big fan of when, especially with a lot of these recent adaptations. I mean, the the it remakes uh, were I think were fantastic. Uh, right. I'm a huge fan of The Mist. I know that wasn't too long ago. Uh, right. You know, and obviously Shawshank and Green Mile, I think, are fantastic. But The Stand show the series mm. that just came out not too long ago was great so when i heard that there was a new adaptation of salem's lot coming i i i got excited because i'm looking forward to seeing it as well the other that there's another movie that's coming out that's um that um that i'm excited about it's um it's called a stage of twilight that's with karen allen and she and i play a married couple of a certain age <laughs> and I never get to play humans. I never get to play. I mean, <laughs> I never get to play somebody who's just in love and, you know, having a life and dealing with um, what people deal with when they get older, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then, and I, Sarah, Sarah Schwab wrote it and directed it. And Karen is, beautiful karen is great in it karen's beautiful in it um and it's just this it's this drama that what we shot it last summer and it's i think it's making the f- festival circuit it's you you'll have to look for it at the film festivals before it comes out down streaming somewhere or in the theaters um but i'm but i'm truly jazzed about it i i i came away from the project thinking I, that's that may be the best acting that I've ever done. That's that makes me really excited to see. I mean, especially mentioning Karen Allen too. I mean, because me personally, I'm sure she has done other projects, but I mean, it feels like I haven't seen her in a while. In a while on screen, so I'd be really looking forward to that. As a, you know. Yeah. to seeing that as well and like you said yeah. playing somebody who's more human rather than a, a character right i don't kill anybody i don't <laughs> I'm, I'm not being chased by demons uh zombies or and and it, because he's so he the two of them are so are very central to this story they're they're mm-hmm. on every page almost um and what they're and what they're going through I've never been asked to do that as an actor on film before. And so it's so, new territory even for so you it's, as an actor. It was it was almost all new territory for me. I didn't um which made it really exciting, which made it, you know, every day was a how do we do this? How do I do that? And I like I said, I came away from it think feeling like uh this the this may be the best acting that I've ever that I've ever done the best performance I'm, I've ever, I've I'm really, ever I'm done. really excited to see this. So yeah. Yeah. I was, I was very pleased. Is I, it, I, is it original story or is it based off of like a, anything no, literary? It's, it's no, it's based off of uh, Sarah Schwab's personal story, her family oh, okay. story. She wrote it sort of based on her dad and her mom and what happened and so on. Um, with with modifications but um but yeah it's a personal story and and a sweet i think it's a sweet movie and it's called a stage of twilight a stage of twilight 
I'll have to keep my eye out for that one because that that does sound again. I'm a huge cinephile, so I watch, you know, in addition to comedy and horror, I like dramatic movies and 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 things like that. So I'm a cinephile. I, yeah, I, I watch anything. Uh, you like I. Most of my nights consist of, or most of my days consist of working during the day into the evening, and then my ass is planted in my recliner usually from like eight, nine o'clock until the end of the night watching something new. And wow, because I just love, I I love cinema. I love, it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I get to talk about movies. I get to speak to wonderful people such as yourself about those movies and, and dive into those conversations. So um, it, it's one of the reasons why I was incredibly excited to be able to set this up to, to have this conversation with you, because again, I've been a fan for a long time. So, and I get excited. Like you're one of those people that I get excited anytime I see you pop up. I mean, even, you know, um, in, uh, Oh, McGarrett from Hawaii Five O. You know, right. you, you showed up in a couple episodes as as Steve McGarrett's father, and right. I was a fan of that show, and I became a bigger fan of that show when I saw you pop up as you know as as, as Jack. Fun. Well, yeah. thank you, thank you. I just um, it's funny. I said you were talking about the transition between theater and into film. It took me a few films to figure it out. To, to really sort of get my feet wet and understand that they're trying to take a photograph of, they're trying to take a p- picture of you, you know, mm-hmm. they, it's, it's different. And I'd spent so many years doing theater that there was a, you know, I had to, uh, I had to learn this new form um, and what you can do in a close up, And then it began to become clear to me that, that, Within this world, within this frame, within a close-up, they can. There's a universe of possibilities that it's not limiting. It's not this tiny little thing. I have to fit into this little frame, and I can't move because they're taking my picture. It was like, no, they're looking. You can you can create a world inside that little frame, and it's almost effortless. You can you know it's like if you watch the penny drop in an in an actor's you know an actor realizing something in the moment. It's all you have to do is let the thought flicker across your mind, and the audience goes, "Oh shit, he knows," you know. Mm-hmm. He's on to her. Um, boom, 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 boom. The, I just start, I started to fall in love with film as a as a craft. As a you know, I would watch the actors that I'd fallen in love with and watched over the years. You know, the one all my heroes were film stars, the Robert Duvalls and the uh, John Casale and Al Pacino. George C. Scott and all of these phenomenal actors, but I, um, but there was tremendous power in the stillness, you know. Um, I'm not describing this very well. But, no, I, I I do kind of but, get it though. But 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 when you find when you 
when you finally understand the power of that gadget, that camera, that, you know, the weight that you can carry in that stillness, mm-hmm. or the story you can tell with a look, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's truly awesome to kind of kind of dive into that idea. Like, as you mentioned about how there can be an entire universe in a single frame, um, mm. you know, one of the roles that you, you did that we didn't really bring up was playing president Ellis in Iron Man three and agents of shield and entering the world of the MCU. Is it, you know, when you enter a world like that, you, you talk about an entire universe inside a single frame, but when you, you talk about a project like that, there's also what has become this massive universe outside of that frame hmm. as well. I mean, was that something that was maybe a little intimidating at all, taking on a role like that? <laughs> it was. <laughs> I, I had never, well, I'd never done anything. I had done sort of big, you know, big action film sort of things before, but I'd never done so much green screen. Um, and it was, a, it, there was a lot about that that was new um, mm. to me. Um, and thing, things that I had to get used to, things that I had to learn how to, <laughs> it's like you're hanging, you're hanging from a harness wearing blue underwear with dots all over it for the <laughs> computer. Um, and you're 20 feet off of the screen stage in this green screen place and the director's on down on the floor looking at a television monitor saying okay look to the left yeah now lower a little bit lower okay they're shooting at you they're shooting at you okay he's making sounds with his mouth and you was sort of a different kind of it was a kind of a different kind of acting um it it remind it, it reminded me a bit of when I was a kid on the farm, running around the barn, uh, you know, dive with my BB gun and my friend from down the street, and we would dive out of the hayloft and come up shooting, and you know, look out behind you, <laughs> just like make, just making this shit up. It it really um, is like a bigger game of pre- of make believe and pretend just with bigger toys, really. Exa- well, exactly, yeah. exactly. Because they're not, you know, they're not there. They're not really shooting it. There's a fire. There's a fire underneath you. <laughs> <laughs> Raise your feet up. Yeah, um, I know. You know this this world of the MCU is so massive, and I know you you portrayed President Ellis in in Iron Man and and in mm. Agents of Shield. Has there ever been any talks or conversations about you returning to the MCU at, at any point? Um, not that I've heard. I've, when I when I finished filming, they were saying, well, "You're now the president of the Marvel Universe." Yeah, exactly. And I thought, and I thought, great. I, <laughs> I'm I'm totally good with that. Um, but uh, I don't know. They they went a different way. Yeah, um, that's. I mean, it's a shame, but I mean, at least you got to be a part of it for. But I got. Yeah, for period, I mean, yeah. I mean, I can't. You know, how do I complain about that? I got. You know, I got to be uh, part of that franchise, which yeah. was, which I love. I mean, I love the Iron Man. I was I was a huge fan of the Iron Man movies. I mean the. Um. Anyway, so. It was, you know, it was great to be a part of it. Yeah. 
Um, one final thing before I let you go, just more on a personal note, what are you into like right now? Like as far as any movies recently that you've, you've watched and really enjoyed any television shows that you're enjoying right now? I saw, um, I think it's called everything everywhere all at once. All at once. Yes. Holy crap. Yeah. It's an amazing film. Breathtaking. Yeah. Absolutely breathtaking. Michelle like, Yeoh is just holy. Just mail yeah. her the Academy Award or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to hear about it. Just you know. And the thing start. My daughter was saying, you know, this is great. You got to watch it. You got to watch it. So we sat down to watch it, and the first 10, 15 minutes of it, and now we're in a Chinese laundromat, and they're having <laughs> problems with the IRS. They're getting audited. You know, and then all of a sudden, I won't spoil it for your listeners, but all of a sudden the world flips over and you're like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, what the fuck just happened? I was, I was kind of the same way. And once it, once it goes there, once it starts to go there, um, it never leaves it. it, Yeah. It never (laughs) stops. And it's just, it's just breathtaking. I thought it was fantastic. And and the one thing I, I loved about that movie more than anything was when I when you get to the end and you realize what this story was really about. The heart at it, the center of it. Yeah, it was just it was it was so good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's there's one I could recommend. Yeah. I don't know if you're a um this is another one I've been recommending to people lately. That was one I was recommending for a while. Um, yeah. I don't know if you are a fan of Nicolas Cage at all. Yeah. Um, but the unbearable weight of massive talent, his latest movie with him and Pedro Pascal. I, I keep meaning to see that. You think it's as it's great. I I'm a big Nicolas Cage fan. I love some of his like 90s action movies like Con Air and Face Off and The Rock. And I auditioned um, for Con Air. Did you really? What and what the, role in particular do you remember? The the one that Malkovich got. Oh, Cyrus the Virus, yeah. Um, but I I of honestly I out of, of course, the villain role. Yeah. Um, I honestly think it might be one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies that I've, I've ever seen. Wow. And, and which raising, is odd because he's playing himself. Raising Arizona. It's, oh, that's a tough call. Yeah. Because Raising Arizona. Well, I got to watch it. I got to watch it. I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. That's, um, that's a good, that would be my recommendation to you. Is to- the other thing I'm doing right now. Um, as I'm, I started, I mentioned it before I'm writing songs and I'm recording them and I'm sort of sneaking them out on, um, on YouTube, William Sadler, the kitchen tapes, um, as opposed to Bob Dylan, the basement tapes, um, <laughs> I, during the pandemic, I started to record them and now I'm, and now I'm recording them with lots of other musicians and like putting together like really nice versions of these songs. Um, and I just wrote one that I really, really like that um, it has to do with uh, gun safety. And it's, it's called Thoughts and Prayers. And I sent it to this indie radio station called um, um, uh, Hanging on the Web. Hanging on the Web. Hanging on web radio. If you if you Google that, it'll 
the, the station will come up and then it's an indie ra- online indie radio station, but they got, um, but they liked it so much. They immediately said, we're putting it on. I just, I sang it with my guitar at the kitchen table. So it's this funky recording, mm-hmm. but it's powerful. And the message is urgent. The message is, the message is fantastic and it's delivered. And I guess the packaging is, uh, and not, is fun enough that um, it has an impact. Yeah. So I write songs. That's that. Uh, who knew? Are, are they going to be just as YouTube videos or do you have any plans to put out an album at any point? I'm working on the album. I don't okay. know how you, I don't know how you launch an album these days. <laughs> I have, I'm getting advice about, um, you know, put it out on iTunes or um, Spotify or, you know, um, all of the streaming services you can put out one song at a time and then the next month put out another one and the next month put out another one that's been suggested to me so i i have two of them mastered already and ready to go and i've got two more that are being mastered at the moment at master disc in peakskill new york um but yeah this uh but anyway yeah it's fun and it's uh Keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> I know you. I know you mentioned. You know, obviously, we talk and we talked about the banjo playing, and you mentioned even having one. I think you said behind you uh, in the video. I don't know if you've ever met Steve Martin. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> but I know he's a uh, a very well known banjo player in Hollywood. Oh, no, he's, see, his father bought him the right kind of band. <laughs> My dad didn't. My dad bought me the four string that you play, you know. Oh, when the saints go marching in, tick, 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 tick. Um, which is fine, which is swell, you know. <laughs> what I wanted, what what I wanted to learn was what Pete Seeger was doing. You know that frailing and the four string band, the five string banjo. I never quite got her. I never. I have five string banjos now. I shouldn't mm-hmm. blame my dad for everything. <laughs> um, he tried, but uh, but yeah. Now now it's guitars. I'm I'm better on the guitar than I than I ever was on the banjo. Um, and uh, so I write some of what I write on, I write on guitar. So I think, I think, you know, through this conversation and, you know, through what we've seen with Bill and Ted and such, you, you very clearly do still have the comedic chops. So, I mean, maybe why not just once for the kitchen tapes, just do a return to, to um, Banjo Bill, you know, just to, Give a couple minutes of Banjo Bill in the kitchen tapes. Take it back to your roots. <laughs> Take it back to the start. Thank that's, you. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I can't think of a better way to wrap it up than that. 
to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> William, this has been absolutely delightful. I'm so thankful. You've been so generous with your time in in this conversation that we've been having. I've been um, having fun. So thank you so much for, for being here. I'm sure my audience is going to love it too. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to put links to your kitchen tapes in, you know, with the, with the, the show yeah. notes for this. Yeah, no, find the kitchen there. tapes. Um, I'll um, see if I can send you, I'll maybe I'll see if I can send you a link to the um, hanging with, hanging with web radio and they they liked the song so they got so behind this message and this song that they wrote in the whole article that came out with the song yesterday. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, so it's, it it's was still like, relatively fresh, oh, oh, yeah, fresh news no, right now. Yeah. This this just happened. And they, I mean, there's so much going on in the news. I can't write songs fast enough. That's and I don't write political songs as a rule, but this one, this one just kind of fell out of my head and and it felt right. So, mm-hmm. um, so there you go. So thank you so much for, for spending some time with me. This was, this was absolutely great. <laughs> You're welcome, man. Take care. Uh, to, to everybody else who's listening right now. Thank you for being a part of this audience and for following along and listening. Uh, and we'll see you on another episode of the spotlight series. Bye-bye. upon the land a darkness on the sun they're killers on the loose and they've got guns and I can't watch the news it scares me after death hold on folks and let me catch my breath we send our kids to school they hide under the desks They go to bed at night wondering who'll be next And everybody knows that something's gotta change That's when you hear that old refrain Thoughts and prayers Thoughts and prayers Let's just leave it to the men upstairs Doesn't matter what you saw Ain't no need to change the law Thoughts and prayers Thoughts and prayers Thoughts and prayers Look at that headline I'll say it isn't true All those people crying Wondering what to do And everybody knows that this is just wrong That's when you hear that old song Thoughts and prayers Thoughts and prayers Sent directly to the men upstairs 
Doesn't matter what you saw Ain't no need to change the law Thoughts and prayers Thoughts and prayers Thoughts and prayers You stand before your maker He says, how'd it go down there? When you saw my children hungry Did you find some food to share? Did you try to stop the bloodshed? Come on, tell me what you do. You say, Lord, I left it up to you. special place in hell for the leaders of our nation we have the power to change this tragic situation but there's money to be made if you keep the status quo and that's why their answers still no so close your eyes my friends and get down on your knees I know he can't refuse us if we all say pretty please Come election day, what I'm talking about We all show up and vote the bastards out With thoughts and prayers With thoughts and prayers Let's get some folks who actually care I know it may sound rough But thoughts and prayers just ain't enough Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers.